This is Michael Campbell. You're listening to Money Talks, brought to you by Solera Club. An absolutely incredible week. We saw oil coming near our targets at the 35-plus dollars. We've got interest rates reacting. We've got a Canadian dollar actually breaking below 73 cents. Much to talk about. But first off, philosopher Bertrand Russell famously said that most people would sooner die than think. In fact, they do so. Well, I think there's something to that observation, especially when you look at the herd mentality evident in so many areas. But I think we've taken it a step further with the aggressive assault on free speech and attacks on anyone who questions the prevailing agenda. I mean, if you question even the smallest aspect of the climate change agenda, you're akin to a Holocaust denier. If you question the lack of a plan by the Liberal government for resettlement of refugees, Ontario Premier Kathleen Wynne says you're a racist. Same goes for anyone who questions the abysmal record on Native affairs. This anti-intellectual attitude reflects a totalitarian mindset that's flourishing on university campuses and parts of the media and the public schools. I mean, my point, though, is that it guarantees that no progress will be made on our most pressing issues. Contrast the prevailing attitude of don't question our progressive elites with the advice of Albert Einstein in a piece he wrote for Time magazine I think it was 1954, where he stated, the important thing is to not stop questioning. Curiosity has its own reason for existence. Climate change has been in the news, and one of the most incredible aspects of the climate change debate has been the incredible effort to squelch any debate. I think it's important to understand that much like the McCarthy witch hunt for communists or the Spanish Inquisition, the demand is for 100% adherence without question. There are so many examples, but I'll just remind you of just one. Earlier this year, the Democrat-led House Committee on Environment and Natural Resources Committee, their chairman wrote to the presidents of seven universities to try and prevent the research of seven well-known scientists that threatened the climate change agenda. One of the targets was a guy na- is a guy named Robert uh, Roger Pilkey. He's a professor at the University of Colorado's Center for Science and Technology Policy Research, who has a book. Uh, he wrote a book call, calling for a carbon tax. He spoke, spoke in favor of President Obama's proposed carbon regulations and has been a vocal supporter of the International Panel for Climate Change on climate change. I mean, come on, that should be enough to get on anyone's uh, or David Suzuki's Christmas card list, oh, sorry, holiday card list for that matter. But no, Professor Pilkey had committed a transgression. Why? because he questioned the claim that increased greenhouse gases were associated with increasing increasing costs of disasters. Uh, And he questioned the claim that the increasing cost of disasters had anything to do with the emission of greenhouse gases. And by the way, it was a concern that was in the International Panel of Climate Change report. They agreed with him. But that's not good enough. No questions allowed. I mean, there's so many other examples. You remember the ClimateGate emails that featured scientists literally blacklisting and sabotaging anyone who questioned the climate change agenda. Now, I appreciate that climate change advocates won't like me pointing this out, but I think they're misguided. Dispensing with principles like free speech won't get it done. Real science invites rigorous questioning. And sadly, way too many people who are concerned about climate change are willing to dispense with principles like free speech or the tenets of science in pursuit of their agenda. The question of man's impact on climate change, as opposed to the natural cyclical change, shouldn't be ideological or religious. And it was, though, for the longtime head of the International Panel of Climate Change, Rajendra Pachari, who was forced to resign, by the way, earlier this year amid allegations of sexual harassment. He stated in his resignation, 
In quotes, for me, the protection of planet Earth, the survival of all species and sustainability of our ecosystem is more than a mission. It's my religion. End of quote. Well, too bad, because it should have been science. Now, here's an aspect that seems to have escaped the climate change advocates, and maybe you're one of them. The depth of your sincerity is not measured by your total adherence to the climate change dogma. That is not the measure. Actually, it's the opposite. We've had the same people pushing the same agenda for 10, 20 years, and they've failed. The approach desperately needs to evolve. If you want progress, if this is a concern for you, these elites need to be questioned. Heck, I think somebody sincerely concerned about climate change would be totally justified in demanding that we should replace them. Finally, here's a question. What if we treated all subjects in the same way? No questions allowed. Well, if you'd done that in medicine, we'd still be bleeding people with leeches. We'd be putting asbestos in houses. We'd be x-raying pregnant women. Where has aggressively working to prevent questions ever resulted in progress? The no questions allowed approach has been the primary tool of totalitarian governments to maintain power. Former Soviet Union, Cuba today, North Korea, outlaw free speech for a reason. Outlaw free media. It maintains their power and restricts progress and change. I think it's sad that climate change advocates don't seem to get that. They're doing the same thing right now. I mean, come on, David Suzuki thinks that any politician who disagrees with him should be in jail. But if you think you're going to win the needed public support to make meaningful action with that kind of an attitude, they've been proven to be dead wrong. They're going to continue to be dead wrong. It's time we question these elites. Just as an aside, I did a comment earlier this week chronicling uh, some of the abysmal failures, the most recent being the Auditor General's report in Ontario on the Kathleen Wynne's government green energy policy that now is going to cost the Ontario taxpayers $9.2 billion more than it needed to to make the progress with green energy. And you want her in charge? There you go. Take a break. Come back. We had some massive stories this week uh, throughout the markets, throughout investment, throughout the economy. Michael Levy is going to talk about the top three. I've also got a great big fat idea, and I've got David Morgan coming up. Hey, are we ever bottoming on silver and gold? We'll chat about that and much more here on Money Talks. Glad you're with me. Coming up, i got a big fat idea for you for your investment portfolio, and you're going to need it when you look at what the performance has been in the last short while in the markets. Victor Dare here to talk about oil with me later on. Aussie Jurek, we've got new mortgage rules. Michael Levy joins me on the line right now. It was an incredible week. So many big stories. We're narrowing them down to three for you. Mike, let's start with number three. And Mike, number three could be number two or number one, so there's no specific order this morning, but this one was a head-turner when the Bank of Canada Governor Stephen Paulos made a speech to the Empire Club on Tuesday, and what we got out of it was less than zero living with negative interest rates. And yes, the governor of the bank brought up the prospect of adding that tool to his toolkit to reinvigorate our economy, and if necessary, they would take the Bank of Canada rate interest rates below zero into negative territory. Now, obviously, that's not so far-fetched when you have uh, 15 different countries in Europe doing the same thing. 40% of all government bonds in Europe are now negative. But I think it did catch a lot of people by surprise because that has not been on the table before out of Mr. Polos' mouth. No, it certainly hasn't, Mike. And he didn't bring it up. 
because he's going to do it tomorrow. But he did bring it up because there's concern about the direction and the recovery and the strength of the Canadian economy and what the, what the Bank of Canada might have to do in order to get our economy going again. And just to give you a quick anecdote, in Denmark, thousands of homeowners where they have negative interest rates, Mike, thousands of homeowners have ended up with negative interest mortgage rates, and they're paying the bank principal and no interest, less the interest each month. Uh, In other words, yeah, they Sorry, Mike, go ahead. No, I was just going to say, I know it's an incredible concept because you borrow 100000 from the bank and every month your principal declines. You know, that's an incredible thought. It is, Mike. In Switzerland, their central bank rate is minus three quarters of one percent, and one of the small Swiss banks has a deposit rate of minus point one two five percent. You put your money in the bank, and every month you have less money, hoping that that's going to spur you to not put your money in the bank, but go out and spend it. And let's go full circle. That would be the tool in the Bank of Canada's kit, is to try and get you to spend by lowering the interest rates. We'll come back to this question in a minute, but let's go to number two first. Food prices decline in 216 as low loony pushes import costs up. Mike, this article read, ran midweek, and they gave some examples. And since the article ran midweek and the, and, and the study came out, the Canadian dollar has declined another two cents. Yeah, they were uh, the numbers were, were uh, you know, again, people, I think, feel this when they go to the grocery store, but they quantified it, which gives you the thing. I mean, you know what? Meat's going up, and, and they already went up last year. You know, the fresh fruits, the vegetables, everything we're importing that way. Well, Mike, it's true, and uh, they expect we're going to pay as much as 45 to 5% more for meat. And one of the reasons, quickly, is that because the Canadian dollar is so cheap and beef is cheaper here than in the U.S., that consumers are going to have to fight with U.S. consumers because U.S. producers are coming into Canada and bidding our meat up, and that's going to cost us more money on fruit and vegetables, Mike, uh, because they've had this extensive rain in California. The crops are quite abundant, so they only expect to see food, fresh grocery prices up about 2 to 4.5%. But, Mike, that was after they were up 9% last year. So I can tell you consumers are feeling this one in the pocketbook. You know, one of the things we talk about in Money Talks, we, we certainly get other chances to go further in this, eh, Mike? But uh, I always say, don't look at anything isolated. Look at the cumulative effects. So let's say you're, you're listening today uh, with us in Calgary or in Edmonton, etc. So the average price of food jump is going to be about $345. You've got the new costs that are going to be added on with the carbon tax, uh, you know, coming on board in Alberta. But you've also got a 4.9% rise in property taxes in Edmonton, 3.5% in Calgary. You, you get the idea. The list just keeps going on and on. No wonder people don't have the income. No wonder people uh, can't spend or invest in other things to get the economy going. And as I say, this is just another great example. 345 bucks on average. What's your number one story? Well, number one story, Mike, and this is, of course, late breaking in the week, but was going on all week. Oil skids toward 11-year low as international energy agency warns of a worse glut we all know we've got an oil glut mike they're warning of a worse glut 
You know, when you get in a move like this, Mike, you always got a tendency to hear, uh, you know, like remember when oil was going up well over 100 for the first time, and then we got into 140, and then you are just all of a sudden hear people saying, well, it's going to go to 250, it's going to go to 400, and they get a lot of press for doing that because the press likes the extreme and the shock of it, and we're sort of getting the same now, though. People who did not see this decline coming are now putting numbers significantly under the market today. And, Mike, I give these ones some credibility, but I didn't when the oil price first started to break, and you and I chronicled it on Money Talks. There was a forecast out there for $38 a barrel. We were at 75 or 80 and that $38 seemed to us to be so out of reach. And now we've broken the 38 and Goldman Sachs is saying $20 is possible. And guess what? With the glut of oil that's out there, I certainly don't rule going down significantly lower. I can't say it's going to happen, but it's certainly now uh, something that we are going to have to accept is that this might not be the floor in oil. Yeah, well, we'll do, uh, I'm going to chat with Victor Adair about the trading of oil coming up because uh, we're right by our Money Talks target that we gave uh, whatever it was, 16, 17 months ago when it was 107, we were talking about the lows of December, which I thought off the top of my head was about 32 to 34. It actually got slightly under that, and people forget. Uh, the other number, eh, Mike, is that late 1990s when we hit 10 bucks. <laughs> you know, And if that happens, that's full circle back to uh, what Stephen Polo said. That's how you get negative interest rates. It is, Mike, and that full circle also must point out that the Canadian dollar is moving in lockstep with oil. So let's go back to the number two story and the cost of groceries. You're looking at the Canadian dollar down two cents this week as the price of oil tumbled, and you could put the charts one on top of the other. So really, all three top stories this week are connected. And much more to come. Thanks, Mike. Thanks, Mike. Take a break. I got big fat idea coming up. Darcy Crow, he's a senior investment advisor, portfolio manager, got a very interesting idea. Canaccord Genuity Wealth Management. Stay with us for that. Also, David Morgan, are we ever hitting the bottom in gold and silver? He'll give us the answer right here across the Chorus Radio Network. Shocking stat, goofy award, all coming your way. Stay with us for that. Right now, very pleased. Uh, to change gears here and talk about Mike's big fat idea. Joining me on the line is the Senior Investment Advisor Portfolio Manager at Canaccord Genuity Wealth Management, Darcy Crow. Darcy, I appreciate you taking the time, and let's just get right to it. What's the big idea? Hi, Mike. Great to be here with you this morning. The idea I wanted to talk about today is investing in U.S. home builders and more specifically having exposure to U.S. home construction, uh, building products, home furnishing, and home improvement. Let's talk about why. I'll talk about how in a second. Maybe I should start with how. How would you do that? Uh, so you can certainly hold individual names uh, in this space, but a cost-effective and diversified way to invest in the space is through a home builder ETF. Mm-hmm. And the ETF that I prefer in the space is ITB, and that's the iShares Home Construction ETF on NASDAQ. And it oh. will hold a diversified basket of stocks in the home building, building products, and home improvement space. Um, and has many positions that are recognizable household names, such as Toll Brothers, Home Depot, and Lowe's. Yeah. Let me, let me ask, okay, why? Uh, wh- why this section? I mean, uh, maybe it's because it's record low interest rates and people are building down in the States. I mean, the U.S. economy is certainly stronger than any other Western nation. 
Yes, yeah, certainly those reasons. And another primary reason is the millennial is coming or coming of age, and the millennial generation is the largest in U.S. history, and it's even larger than the baby boom generation. And as they reach their prime home formation years, their impact on the economy is going to be huge. And in fact, over the next six years, there will be a sharp increase in the number of people turning 30. And that's just like what we saw take place in the 1980s, which contributed to the investment boom of the 90s. Mm-hmm. And this demographic theme should have a very positive impact on home builder companies in the U.S. And secondly, millennials have been slower to marry and move out of the family home. But as they enter their peak home buying years, we're likely to see this change. And the generation's sheer size could lead to a surge in home sales. And we're seeing household formations continue to ramp. In fact, Q2 saw the highest level of household formations in 35 years in the U.S. So iShares Home Construction ETF, the symbol is ITB on NASDAQ. Okay, and now, you know, it's always important, of course, as you know, as a professional uh, to decide, okay, well, who is this for? How long should I hold it? What's my risk expectation? Uh, Absolutely. So this ETF would be suitable for investors that are able to take on equity type risk levels and accept some of the volatility we've seen in Mm -hmm. equity markets of late, of course. Um, And in in terms of length of hold, you know, this is a long-term demographic theme. We expect uh, this movement of the millennial generation into their peak home buying years. And the impact on the U.S. economy and housing formation over the next several years will continue to positively impact both the growth and profitability of home builder companies. So I would expect this to be a longer-term two- to five-year theme that we see. uh, Yeah, a regular solid sort of growth approach to it. I just just want to spell that out as opposed to someone who's sort of looking for an aggressive or a speculation, you know, know that kind of stuff absolutely uh, yeah yeah. no we see this as a a demographic theme that uh that will take place over the next two to five years yeah interesting stuff Uh, very much appreciated darcy thank you for finding time for us great thank you very much mike darcy crow is a senior uh, investment advisor portfolio manager canaccord genuity wealth management i gotta take a break i'll come back i got david Morgan coming on board with me. A reminder, by the way, you can go and uh, get all the details here on moneytalks.net. Some great articles on that, plus the daily business comment. You want to see what I got people enraged about this week? Go listen to a couple of them, and you won't have to guess why anymore. As I say, David Morgan, stay with us right here across the Chorus Radio Network.